So I'm looking here at side C here on this record. So when I was looking at this last night, waiting for my work party to start. And just for the listeners, you're you're taking a look at the back cover of the 20th anniversary edition uh, vinyl reissue of Golden Smog's Weird Tales. Yes, which by the way, I'm totally uh, we we need to first talk. We need to talk about this artwork at some point. Yeah, because um, but it said I think it was, I think it was Jennifer Save Me, Apple the, the very last track. the very last track yeah. where. Um, where I looked up to the songwriter because mm-hmm. I was pretty sure it was a tweet. It was a tweet joint, and it wasn't. Which no, I think it's Gary Lewis, right? Yeah, it's it's Lewis and Johnson. Mm-hmm. But it said for some reason it was Richard Marks, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like looking like, are they covering Richard Marks on this record? Because that would be like really fun and you know that they appreciate that they appreciate him on well not only the irony but they appreciate his sweet romantic lyrics enough that they decide to put their own spin on it so that's um that's that's hilarious i yeah obviously it was not a richard marks song i wonder how that got um i mean i'm 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 fairly certain it's a it's definitely I think uh, some of it is um, some of the credits on Apple Music are user generated. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but I'm kind of just seeing like if Richard Marks even gets like a uh, even gets a thank you here. Um, but I, like then I, as soon as I saw the Richard Marks, uh, I immediately jumped to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is like, "You're you're an idiot." <laughs> yeah. Um, this is mental platypus. That's as, as good a place to intro. This yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and I, uh, I was just, um, yeah, I wanted to show you that. I wanted to tell you that yesterday. And, and I'm Jason, <laughs> by the way. I'm Jared. <laughs> uh, you can find us online at mental underscore platypus on Twitter, um, patreon.com slash hoot and waddle. If you want to support us for five bucks a month to get some extra platypus in your ear. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're we're continuing on down the old mainstream. We are um, yeah, I'm getting tweety with it, getting tweety with it, uh, being where um, <laughs> uh, extra Wilco Wilcoler activities. <laughs> <laughs> All of our many many names for this series, and uh, we're we're talking about the second Golden Smog album, Weird Tales. Which, we don't, which is odd. For, it's 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 rather odd for us to just jump straight into the thing that we're talking about. Yeah, but I I, I wanted to talk about what we talked about during our pregame breakfast today, but I didn't want to like ruin it. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah, so I figured let's just talk about like you know movies and stuff instead, and, mm, right, <laughs> and then right, I right. could just. But I've been like chomping at the bit to like to mention the to mention the Richard Marks love, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. But you know, even if Richard Marks isn't there you know on uh, uh, uh isn't being covered on weird tales which would definitely make it extra weird indeed it would i, I mean was, it's important to remember that richard marks is always right there waiting <laughs> for you for me 
for yes. a lady. <laughs> In, indeed. Um, so on a sort of similar tangent, you know, we were, we were talking about that, um, about briefly her smell, that Alex Ross Perry movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, which has a really good soundtrack. I like it. I like it quite a bit. Uh, Some of the famous did, didn't they? That particular movie, or what, maybe not. Uh, I don't remember who wrote. There, there was one person behind most of the original songs. I know they did like a cover of uh, uh, "Another Girl, Another Planet." Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the songs, like towards the end, um, it, it doesn't really give anything away. But one of the, uh, there's a there's a scene where Elizabeth Moss is just playing piano and singing, and she plays. Um, uh, a Brian Adams song, <laughs> not Ryan Adams. Brian, Brian Adams, <laughs> and it's just this. It's just this very kind of. You, you, it was totally one of those moments, like in High Fidelity, where um, Lisa Bonet does um, the Peter Frampton song, and they're like, <laughs> "I used to really hate this song." Yeah. yeah, but now I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it was exactly that moment with that Brian Adams song. What Brian Adams song was it? I'm trying to remember. It was. Um, Please say it was "Cuts Like a Knife" because that's like the only Ryan, no, it Brian. No, Adams song I like. It was not. It was not that one. It was. Um, that I still like. I should say that one. Ah, oh, shoot. Okay, I'm going to find it. Everywhere You Go? Or is it off of Robin Hood? No, it was not off of Robin Hood. It's one of the more famous ones, though. Okay. Um, but um, while you're doing that, I want to talk about the artwork on this really quick. Because I, like, I have a history. I shouldn't say I have a history with this uh, artwork. Because it, <laughs> it, it's, it implies something that is not true. But I remember how eye-catching that was walking through the Sam Goody in suburban Detroit. Mm-hmm. And then what is this record right here? And they're like, Oh, it's got that Wilco guy. <laughs> back when you were still team. Yeah. Farrar. Back when I was still team for, I'm like, I, I don't know. I didn't even know who the Jayhawks were at that time. Like, right. So I was still just a kid who, Love Dave Matthews and Nally Merchant and Sarah McLaughlin and Sunvolt. <laughs> um, but that artwork um, is obviously um, it's it's from like uh, pulp uh, comic magazine. Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's it's off it's like from the '30s. Yeah, I think it actually is. Uh, where is it credited? Like, it's from a cover of, like, an EC comic, yeah, right? Yeah, it is actually, uh, it has it in here. Sorry, I interrupted your Brian Adams Googling. No, 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 I was just trying to, you know, figure out which song it was, and I'm still going to. Yeah, while you're doing that, I'm going to look up. Um, oh, it's it actually, so it was Pulpa, it was Pulpa. It was a pulp magazine called Weird Tales. Right. And the cover art is uh, by Mark, Margaret Brundage. Uh, it's from uh, the, the October 1933 issue. Okay. And it's, um, I mean, it's definitely something that maybe I think inspired, you know, Crumb and 
like all those guys because you sure. think of like um and maybe even daniel Klaus because like you see that in ghost world her wearing that um oh yeah yeah, yeah. The, the mask of the cat mask yeah um dora birch in the movie and i forget her name in the in the comic or in the movie as well mm-hmm. but um yeah i just it's definitely got that old-timey pulp thing going on and and then you uh start listening to the record and it sounds kind of slick don't you think yes oh did you find the brian yam song yet i'm figuring it out uh, bu- 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 um, heaven. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a good. That's a decent one. Uh, why I couldn't think of the name. The thing is, you know what? In the eighties, everybody, every fucking band, had a song called Heaven. Yeah. Remember when we were doing? Remember? Remember back in the day? Or what the fork yes, days? Yes. Yes, I do. We had this idea. That we were going to end every song, every episode with a song about heaven. Yes. Yeah. 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 We did not do the Brian Adams one. Yeah. Well, there is a reason for that. Uh, well, I mean, eventually I stopped. I stopped using clips of those songs because uh, uh, when I was posting uh, back when I was doing a better job of trying to hype the show, uh, I had been posting kind of the the podcast on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got flagged any time that I used uh, a song at the end. So son of a bitch, Google. Yeah. Very so, um, so used man. Doing, yeah. So back in the day, I was doing my best. They were all like under thirty seconds, and it was always you know. Yeah, it's fine. Us kind of trailing off over it, but um. No. Anyway. But. Um, yeah, just, I, I always found that I work, that artwork catching, eye catching and, um, it is really one of the best covers that of an album. I think it's right up there, but then also the fact that it was, it's straight up the cover of a magazine that was released 65 years before the album. But that's what Spoon does. Spoon takes, gets permission to use photographs. Yeah. Like, um, but, no, I mean, it's, it's a pretty classic way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Gimme Fiction, that's a photo mm-hmm. transference. That's a, I think it's a Maplethorpe photo. I, I'm probably wrong on that one. But, uh, and then the ones that, uh, they, the original ones that they do, like for Gaga, 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 it's fine. But <laughs> that's just, that's, well, that one's just a studio pick. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but it kind of looks a little bit like The Cure's uh, Boys Don't Cry with Robert Smith. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, the photo, I had that poster in my room for a while. And it kind of looks like that. But So they're always like trying to be... That's the thing about Spoon. They're always trying to be cool by digging deep and doing what they like. And I think that's kind of what Golden Smog effortlessly does. Especially in the second one. Yeah. They're just... The, that record is cool, not only because of the artwork, but what's inside it, though I think like the Loris tracks are sound pretty slick. Well, be, before we get into the album yeah. proper, 
I do have a question for you. As, yeah, as yeah. I said, I'm holding in my hands the 20th anniversary reissue of this. How does it make you feel that, I mean, this album was released in 1998. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the to talk about Tweety, I mean, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is getting the 20th anniversary treatment this year. I mean, the fact that these albums that I feel came out like yesterday are 20 years old now. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's kind of, it's just kind of mind-blowing to me. I know. I was just, it's, I, I was actually listening to that record the other day. I'm like, oh, like I was listening and like I got, finally got into like, just went whole hog into Wilco like maybe 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. When I divorced Daddy Farrar and mm-hmm. went to my real dad. <laughs> Got emancipated from Farrar. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, it seems weird that like this has been around for a while and I should be tired of it and I'm not. And. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that, and like it's just, it, it still sounds new. Like it still sounds fresh. I mm-hmm. think it's aged very well. Well, with the exception of the opening track, which isn't a bad track, it just to me sounds like it could come out of any indie rom com in the late nineties um, that was trying to be cool. I think the rest of the record definitely holds up. I think the Loris tracks. Oh, see, I thought we were talking about Yankee Hotel Foster. Oh, yeah. Well, we are. And well, that's and you're the, trying to bring it back to, to Weird Tales. Is that what yeah, you're trying I'm to do? Yeah, I'm trying to bring it back. To, you're trying yeah. to transition back? Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to transition back. So, like, going to Weird Tales, too, like, because we're talking about 20th anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Like, other than, like, maybe some of the, the Loris tracks. I think, which I think sound are solid tracks. They're really good tracks. I just think they also sound from like the something that would play during the opening credits of a 90s teen rom-com. Really? Yeah, especially that opener. uh, uh, I like to call my own, but that's a Dan Murphy. Yeah. So, I mean, and that to me makes sense because I, I feel like a lot of, I mean, him coming out of Soul Asylum, I feel like Soul Asylum is very much oh, of, yeah. that, of that time period. Yeah. But I, I think and I think the Tweed tracks, you can definitely I'll tell you a little bit about my experience too. It's like so listening on Apple Music. Um I have I, I've enabled the feature where when a record is done or when a track is done to keep playing music, just something along the lines of it's like a radio station around the album that you've chose. So it goes to um, what's the name of the last song? Jennifer Save Me. Jennifer Save Me. And it goes straight into Via Chicago. Interesting. So for me, it went into I, I on, when I was listening to it uh, also on Apple Music because I did not have time between recordings to to put on the platters as they as they say. Uh-huh. Um, the Just first time the I listened, circle. 
<laughs> right, yeah. exactly. The first time I listened to it, I got a Jayhawks track playing afterwards, and the second time I listened to it, I got an Alejandro Escovedo song playing afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I get via Chicago, and I'm like, going like, I, I'm like, the records, like, what is this doing on here? I'm like, oh, like the the song's over. And I thought that was a really cool transition because this came out the same year. Uh, summer teeth right it came out the year before so i was gonna it was gonna kind of put that in context yeah um so let's let's do some context you see what i'm doing here i do uh i'm just you know you're throwing me off my game a little bit by getting so like into the actual i'm so hyper focused today yeah i know i i I, i'm you're not used to this i'm not usually it's it's the tangents all over the place yeah anyway Weird Tales, Golden Smog, came out October 3rd, 1998. Also, I want to take this moment to... I, I, I found um, a an, uh, an article from No Depression from 1998 that was profiling Golden Smog. Mm-hmm. I can now definitively say that um, Down by the Old Mainstream came out in January 1996. Okay. <laughs> That was bugging the fuck out of me. And now, having read that article, I can say, all right, they did their research. They they, 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 they know what they're talking about. So it came out January 1996. Uh, anyway, this one, though, Weird Tales, October 3rd, 98. Um, I kind of wanted to put it in context of where Wilco was at this time. So they had already started working on Summer Teeth. They mm-hmm. had done some recording sessions for it. Um, because Summer Teeth, they actually started doing some sessions in 97. Um, and I think some of that makes it onto like the 20th anniversary box set reissue for Summer Teeth. But a lot of that ends up getting scrapped mm-hmm. um, for some of the later session session work. That's for all you Wilco nerds out there. Uh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> now, it comes out uh, roughly six months... No, I'm sorry, roughly four months after, just about three months after, really, uh, Mermaid Avenue, because Mermaid Avenue got released um, June 23rd, 1998. Yeah. Um, I was wondering about that, too, because it seemed like it would fit right into that Mermaid Avenue. It's it's more in line, I feel like, with the music that Tweety and um, and Jay Bennett were writing for, for together for the tracks. They contributed to that effort. And of course... We've talked about this before, but just to kind of recap, if you're not aware of it, Mermaid Avenue was a project that was uh, spearheaded by Nora Guthrie, Woody Guthrie's daughter, where she approached first Billy Bragg to write music to um, to a, 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 a we'll, we'll call it an archive, I guess, of, of Woody Guthrie lyrics that had never been uh, put to music or uh, published or or seen the light of day, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, some amazing stuff, especially that first album is just utterly fantastic. I do highly recommend if you can find it. I think it's actually pretty pricey these days. But there was a complete Mermaid Avenue sessions, um, like kind of three disc set that had the first two sessions and then Mermaid Avenue Volume Three, which was a bunch of stuff they recorded around the same time that just didn't make either yeah. of the two albums. And there's some great stuff on there. Which if you're a str- if you get your music by streaming, the only version available is that version. Is the complete sessions? Is the complete sessions. Well, all right. So all you lazy streamers out there can just hear it on your... 
fuck you. <laughs> I am not lazy, sir. I use the search no, bar. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And fair occasionally enough. I'll put on my AirPods so it sounds amazing. There you go. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Now, uh, to kind of continue with that, I, I did go on a little bit of a tangent of this because in looking and doing some research for Golden Smog, I had been flipping back through the, the Tweety memoir. Um, and so some things that, that came out of that, um, because we're probably never going to cover Mermaid Avenue because I, I consider that a Wilco album proper, even though it's a collaboration album, yeah. uh, is that um, according to Jeff Tweedy. Billy Bragg actually had approached Jay Farrar first. And Jay <laughs> Awkward. Said, yeah, Jay said no. Um, but I guess Tweedy didn't find out about that until afterwards. And they wonder why the why he was forced to leave the band. Um, well, I mean there are other reasons, but yeah, I so saw I saw the doc. I know what happened. The um, <laughs> Right. Well no, 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 no. He didn't play he didn't approach uh Jay Bennett first. He approached Jay, Jay Farrar first. Oh. So he approached the other, he approached your first dad. He approached, yeah, he approached my first dad. <laughs> and Jay Farrar had turned him down. He was like, yeah. so, but, but like I said, Jeff Tweedy didn't hear about this until after the fact. He said if he'd heard about that first, he probably would have said no. Yeah. Well, and from what you've told me, um, Neither Bragg nor Twee are enthusiastic or enthusiastic about this project, right? No, this no, Mermaid no, Avenue no, project? No, so the actual project, I believe Jeff is happy with. He was happy to get to see the Woody Guthrie lyrics and mm-hmm. to get to work with that archive. He said he would. He had yeah, like working Billy, with Bragg. He said he, well, he said he liked Bragg, but was not a huge fan of him mm-hmm. um, in the way that Jay Bennett was. Okay. So... Um, but I guess Bragg was looking for kind of a band to fill out the sound. Mm-hmm. And he thought that, well, I guess he originally thought Sunvolt could do it. But then when Sunvolt, you know, turns him down, he's like, okay, maybe Wilco can do it. And so he asks, he approaches Jeff about it and Jeff considers it and talks to Jay Bennett about it. And Jay Bennett is a huge Billy Bragg fan. Was obviously because Bennett is dead. Right. Um, R.I.P. But um, Bennett, his his band, um, before Wilco was called Titanic Love Affair, and Titanic Love Affair is a is a line from a Billy Bragg song mm-hmm. um, called Richard, which is a, a great song. Uh, the the thing was that Bragg was approaching them basically based off of the sound that they had for um, AM and to some extent being there, mm-hmm. thinking that he wants, you know, like an, uh, an Americana band to, to anchor the sound. And Tweety's already fighting against that. At the, at the time that they're doing Mermaid Avenue, they're writing the stuff for, for, summer, for teeth. summer Teeth, and, the, and he's trying to break out of that that kind of moniker um that 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 pigeonhole he's trying to break out of that um but that's kind of i mean that's where where weird tales kind of comes into the milieu Mm -hmm. is the like how i use that there i didn't sound like a pretentious asshole at all no Uh (laughs) 
Now, and never once in this in the history of this podcast <laughs> have you ever sounded like a pretentious asshole. Except at least once to, you know, at least minimum one time per episode. <laughs> you met, yeah, you, you, you've already met your quota when you call me a lazy streamer. <laughs> Um, but, but, you but know, please, the irony being, but please continue, my friend. <laughs> the, the irony being that I talked about, you know, holding this album in my hand, and yet in preparation for this episode, I listened to the album twice on Apple Music. <laughs> yes. So, it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a, but a it's bit the of fact a that you hypocrisy want, there. But it's the fact that you wanted to spend the black circle that, you know. Yes, or in, in this case. That you um, hold, that you spent something that you could have streamed. In, in this case, green vinyl um, with an etching on side four. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Uh, How's that working out for you and your bank account? Yeah, not great. <laughs> <laughs> I have no savings. Um, <laughs> I'm going to retire poor. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going I'm to need to sell these platters if I'm going to, you know, be able to retire at all. <laughs> hey, Jason. <laughs> hey, Jason. Hey, my, yeah, I got plenty. Yeah. Can you buy my records off me? No. <laughs> or I just got to, you know, I got to stop insulting you and maintain the friendship so that eventually I can move into your spare bedroom. Uh, <laughs> And then and then become weird Uncle Jared to your to your My kids. kids. <laughs> but Daddy, why does that one room smell funny? Don't go in that room. Don't go in that room. Jared's farting again. <laughs> why did it have to be that? <laughs> it, it, your your first your first joke wasn't, you know. Jared's smoking his his you know funny cigarettes again. It's uh it's it, Jared Jared's having gastrointestinal issues. That's great. Well, only because of the drawing, you right? Know. Okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Anyhow, uh, you don't have any money to buy weed. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and I think actually weed makes me paranoid, so I don't generally partake. Um, but yeah. No, it would, it would probably be more like, why does it sound like there there are bottles clinking together every time Uncle Weird Uncle Jared moves around his room? <laughs> it's because Uncle Jared's an alcoholic. Son. Exactly. That's because yeah, Uncle Jared has made some poor decisions in life, and is a lonely, lonely man, and is attempting to drink himself to death. <laughs> is he gonna die soon? Not this probably. <laughs> It's like it's like Blazing Saddles, you know, where where Gene Wilder, um, where he talks about having a, uh, oh, when a man drinks like that, he's gonna die. When? <laughs> <laughs> that move, yeah. Uh, look, look at this hand, steady as a rock. Yeah, but I shoot with this hand. <laughs> Uh, I certainly want to watch that movie. Oh, <laughs> you know, yes, of course, great visual gags for, for an audio medium. <laughs> if you've never seen Blazing Saddles and don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, 
what the hell are you doing with listening to this? You should yeah. be watching Blazing Saddles. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't watched Blazing Saddles, you're in our target audience. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. But that's thank you true. for but thank you for going beyond your comfort level. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um anyway, we were before we now now we're back to normal. <laughs> there we go. So I mean that's that's where it is in kind of the Wilco timeline, which is interesting because this definitely does not sound like the Wilco that's making um that's making summer teeth. I think some of the Again, like it's it does sound like an in between for Tweedy, yeah. Because if I may, mm-hmm. um, like I said, Jennifer saved me. Even though that is like a Luris track, yeah, it kind of fits. Like, like I said, it went straight from that to Via Chicago for me. I'm like going, I'm oh, still yeah. listening to the same album, yeah. So I think it kind of like I feel like this is like a transition to me, even though they're doing like. They're well, doing I, I the think, Bragg project and they're doing and they're moving on from being there. It's definitely so I, I think that in that article, if you can find it, I recommend reading it. If you're interested in Golden Smog at all, I, I think it's a really good uh a, a good write up of them. Um it's on the No Depression website. You just mm-hmm. kinda have to look for um It's so funny too, because if you look at the um the thanks, uh, mm-hmm. Woody gets a gets a shout out. That makes sense. I mean, they're obviously all influenced by Woody Guthrie. Mm-hmm. Like it just says Woody, as if like if you know, you know. Um, so just to give credit where credit is due, the article that I'm talking about was written by Eric Flanagan, uh, and it was released in uh, uh, in November 1998. Uh, it, initially for no depression and the article is called golden smog shelter from the storm uh but it talks about how a lot of what they were doing of course was you know dan murphy was bringing songs that didn't fit soul asylum jay luris was bringing the songs that didn't quite fit into the jayhawks uh, album what they were working on and then tweety was bringing stuff that wasn't fitting into wilco at the time and if you look at like Please tell my brother. Yeah, that's, that's the way I was going to point out. That's definitely, and it's, and I think I, I, we'll we'll get to our standout tracks, but that to me is is just a for like what almost sounds like a toss off, almost throw throwaway song. It's such a great simple, you know, ode to his family kind of kind of track. Mm-hmm. You did you see who else gets a big thanks? Uh, probably not. William Martin Joel. No kidding. No, yeah. No shit. No shit. But it's Billy, obviously. Oh well, yeah. Of course. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, <laughs> I'm assuming they were just listening to him when they were making the record, or yeah. something. Yeah. There's, there's nothing Billy Joel related on That's this. That's what I was thinking. Like, there's nothing that reminds me of Billy Joel, except yeah, there really isn't. No, nope, not at all. No. But yeah, I, so I, I think that the that, um, but and Lost Love, I think, is a great song. Also, mm-hmm. uh, there's. 
Well, we'll get to it when we get to it because we're covering Tweety solo stuff as well. But there's, um, uh, what is, is it Alone Together? I think the acoustic album that he did um, that was just basically him re-recording songs from across. Have you heard that one? No. I, that's that's why I chose this project, so I would force myself to, to listen to, listen to, to the Tweety solo stuff. Yeah, it's definitely. I I think you're really gonna dig that because it's just it's just. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's basically like what Randy Newman was doing with his songbook, just mm-hmm. doing solo piano versions of it. It's it's Tweety just doing so, uh, solo guitar versions. Together at last is the name yeah. of the album. Okay. Um, there's a version of Lost Love on there that is that's great. Uh, and, and I think the song is great here too, but they're, they're definitely tracks that he, that would not have fit in, in the summer teeth era Wilco. Um, and it's interesting because I think that now, now they would be tracks that he would save for a solo album maybe, mm-hmm. but I think that it seems like latter day Wilco, Jeff Tweedy is less concerned about what fits into a record necessarily. Oh, you. Um, it seems like you know today's Wilco would have no problem doing, including, you know, uh, please tell my brother or lost love in the course of whatever album they were working. I um, and I think to, I, I don't mean to interrupt. But I, I think to a degree you're you're right, but also I think of Larry Day Wilco at least in the last ten twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, more 10 years because 20 years means we're talking about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Right. (laughs) But now that it's like I did Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I did Ghost is Born because um, of my drug addiction. After that, it seems like they focus like on a musical theme. So like, um, like the whole love, though there are some like divergence here and there it's pretty much like focused on late 70s early 80s pop rock power pop you know and that's why i think they they cover nick Lowe and they haven't come on tour mm-hmm. for that and maybe it's just because that's i'm so i i so love that album and but also like the album also goes a lot of different places but i feel like it the does. focus like the, the heart of that is um the horror that is like meant to be a like a power pop seventies pop rock record, and yeah. and to take it further, like Cruel Country, <laughs> we we know what that one's about, right? It's yeah, just, yeah. But like, well, I I, I just my point kind of was I think he's become less precious about mm-hmm. everything needing to cohere to an overall sound, mm-hmm. and I think to that point, like. Um, to your point too, I think Schmilko mm-hmm. um, is definitely like these are songs I li- I wrote yeah. that I liked, um, like and I think random name genera- generator oh, yeah. kind of just kind of the the how unprecious he is about like titles in general, yeah. like how he does like Wilco the album, yes, <laughs> and, and they Wilco put like, the song, yeah. yeah. And Wilco, the song, and 
put a camel yes. <laughs> on your record just because it's fun. I yeah, I I I actually one of the one of the, th- the things that I appreciate most about Latter Day Wilco is that it seems like he's he gets back to having more of a good time making music mm-hmm. where it seems like there was just so much pressure in that period where we go from Summer Teeth to um to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. I mean, those just feel like such controlled albums. And at least by the time you get to A Ghost is Born, you know, you've got that whole album definitely feels of a piece. And then they they tack on Late Greats at the end, mm-hmm. which is just a, a, one of my favorite Wilco songs. I think... It's kind of like a release, too. Yeah. Because you're, you're listening to songs about addiction, drug use, yes. depression, and then it's like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, it's almost the way they structured that, though, is they, they have that kind of like long kind of ambient noise track that then at the end of as that kind of finally fades out, you've got late grades. Yeah. It's almost like if you if you you're almost it's almost like you're being rewarded for sticking around. <laughs> That's great. Right. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's also it's it's got um, it, it, it's almost akin to uh, a post credit scene. Yeah, it's it's your stinger at the end yeah. where um, the Winter Soldier shows up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Ant Man. Well, and there there used to be. This is going to get off on another tangent, but just let's do, do it. Remember, like there there was just a period of time where the hidden track was yep. such a thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was also it, it's it's it had its heyday in this in basically in the CD heyday yeah. because you don't um, I mean you would get hidden tracks or like uh, tracks that were left off the 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 um, the uh, the running order in uh, of the track listing in the, uh, for vinyl too you would have those kind of like oh this is not on the yeah. you know what is this bonus track because in CDs the B side was gone right. But you could just have this, like, because, be, the, and, and I think, um, I, well, and Wilk, Summer Teeth did this initially on the album version because you had uh, Candy Floss come on at the end, and then oh. also, like, an alternate version of um, uh, uh, Shot in the Arm. Mm-hmm. So those are, are not listed, but they're, they're at the end of the album. I know... Um, but uh, Counting Crows' This Desert Life has one at the end. You too, Zuropa, but it's mainly just noise. Yeah, so I, I always loved that. I kind of yeah. miss, miss that. You know, that doesn't really happen so much anymore. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. And again, it's because we're, we're, we're back to vinyl. Mm-hmm. But also, no one makes... I mean, vinyl singles are... I mean, even though vinyl is back, singles are still like this thing of the past. It's and more of a it's more of a, a novelty, I think. Yeah, because you still get seven inch singles thrown out there, but it's mm-hmm. it's not. It's much more of a niche collector's thing, right? But I mean, no one like one of the things I like about um, listening to like Duran Duran collections, mm-hmm. and we're, now we're way off base, yes. <laughs> but. Um, not only are there different versions of these songs, but there's like 
the random Bowie cover mm-hmm. or um, there's um, there's one song off of Rio that I mean doesn't really quite fit in with Rio, mm-hmm. but it's called like Like an Angel and it was a B-side to like My Own Way or something. Mm-hmm. I, 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 but like that is a solid track. It just doesn't fit. Yeah, no, that's there used to be so much more of an outlet for that. I, I think that now it seems like if that happens, you have people dropping just like streaming singles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now that we're in streaming, to, it's gone. I, I miss being able to collect that. That's you know that was why I ended up buying all of the Ryko disc issues of the reissues of the Elvis Costello albums, mm-hmm. uh, and then the Rhino reissues because there are all these extra tracks and things that were on on B sides of singles. I gotta find um, this Rhino one still. The uh, I, I I think they're they're very worthwhile though. Those are some of the you know that's that's the thing about some of these CDs that I will never get rid of is because they've got these collections of of B sides that would be that would just take forever to find. And the thing is, mm. like as as I go through and kind of flip through collections, uh, you know, or boxes of of, of dusty seven inches, um, I'll still pick them up as I see them because it's a great. It's, mm. it's, it's for a collector, it's just kind of a great thing to have that just you're like, look at this artifact, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's this, this thing for this band that I love that has this song that, that you may never hear elsewhere. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there, I just feel like there used to be so much more of an outlet for that than, mm. than there is now. And I think that's kind of where this comes in too. It's like, mm-hmm. I, the thing, like, again, everyone sounds like they're having fun. Sort of. Yeah. I want to talk about that. I do want to, I, I wanted to mention one more piece about kind of like the, 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 um, sort of the behind the album, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Um, this version of the band features Jody Stevens. Okay. Who, if you don't know who Jody Stevens is, Jody Stevens was the drummer for Big Star. Ah, uh, yeah, and they met and they get think there too, which which makes sense. And if you don't know who Big Star is, then again, what the fuck are you doing listening to this yeah. podcast? Then you're then then you're not a target demographic, <laughs> and um, go out and get that's a number okay. one record and Radio City and uh, and definitely. Um, the 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 third sister lovers album yeah and and again like it's not thank you, we thank you again for coming out of your tart you know your your comfort zone on podcasts mm-hmm. um but if you're not aware of who big story is you're definitely not our target demographic here but we're happy you're a part of the team but on the <laughs> other hand though as we all know children by the millions sing for alex chilton that's true <laughs> how many I mean, you like you do realize that Alex Chilton, like, uh, I, you know, even though he's not right anymore, owes like Westerberg, like, uh, certainly for kind of, um, yeah, <laughs> certainly for, I don't want to say plucking out of obscurity, but definitely reintroducing him to a new audience mm-hmm. because you know what I think that. Uh, Pleased to Meet Me was like 1987 or something like yeah. that. And at that time, Big Star was definitely not at the mm-hmm. forefront of anybody's mind. And nobody is knowing who Alex Chilton is. Yeah. And 
yeah so to just have a song called alex chilton <laughs> yeah what <laughs> um i never go far without a little big star <laughs> um i once i once asked david gray um if he sends uh dave matthews a uh christmas card <laughs> for because uh pretty much um dave matthews plucked him off obscurity and gave him like the best selling record he's ever the pretty much owes dave matthews his success oh right because he put him on his label yeah 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 and uh and he laughed and uh surprising says yeah i still send him a christmas card <laughs> yeah uh and uh yeah well i mean that's that's for plucking him out of that's that's kind of an odd story too because i mean David Gray had already been plugging away for at least a decade, right? Oh, before, yeah. Before Babylon comes out, mm-hmm. and our White Ladder, the album that yeah. that's off of. And yeah, I mean, at that point, he's getting introduced to people as like best new artist. Mm-hmm. And, and, and <laughs> along this is crazy. Yeah. And along the lines of what we're discussing, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, Billy Bragg, I knew who he was before he was playing with Wilco. Yeah. But like, how many more people do you think were introduced to Billy Bragg on account of the Mermaid Avenue. Well, I mean, that's definitely, that album definitely has got to be, if, if it's not the highest charting album of Bragg's career, it's one of the ch- hardest trying al- yeah. chart, highest charting albums of, of his career. But I hope that someone who like loves California stars will think, um, who's this Billy Bragg guy? And, yeah. and hopefully look up like his stuff. Cause I mean, he's great. But he's definitely oh, yeah. like he's definitely like a presence onto himself. Well, right. So I mean, I that that's almost like a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> to talk about Billy Bragford even just a moment, the point at, at which Mermaid Avenue comes out, he's definitely, you know, his heyday had been the '80s at that point, and mm-hmm. he's known as kind of you know that's when he comes when he comes to America, he's kind of like known as the one man clash. Cause that whole lore of him getting, a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe kind of akin to the Elvis Costello and the attraction story, but, you know, kind of walking the streets of New York with this, uh, with this backpack amp uh, yeah. strapped to him, then playing guitar and singing, just kind of busking around New York city until he gets a record contract is pretty, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, punk story, of course. But, you know, he's coming up, he, that's, where, that's where he makes his bones, essentially, is as this sort of modern-day folk protest singer with an electric mm-hmm. guitar, you know, this kind of hybrid punk folk, uh, but also writing these brilliant love songs in there, too, mm-hmm. and having this great mixture of things, and just, you know... Of course, he's um, what does he say on on waiting for the great leap forwards? He's like, in a perfect world, we'd all sing in tune, but this is reality, so give me some room. <laughs> um, which is, I you know, one of that that song is just six minutes of great couplets. Yeah. Uh, and and but you know, in the nineties, he had done he by the time Mermaid Avenue comes out in the which is near the end of the decade, in the entire span of that that eight year period, he's only done two records. He did, um, uh, accident waiting to happen, mm-hmm. uh, which is his, like it, that's, that's his major, like shooting his wad kind of album because that yeah. album is that's his river, uh, kind of, well, I mean, it's more like he's collaborating with, 
REM members on that album. Yeah. Um, the production on that is much more full band, much more pop. Mm -hmm. He's making a much more concerted effort to try to keep his, um, uh, you know, his his very thick English accent at bay in his singing. Which REM members was he playing with? I'm just curious because both I, Peter Buck and uh, Michael Stiper on that album. Okay, and the reason why I ask is because. Um, We'll get to my recommendations, but I'm on a Zivon kick as of oh. late. Oh, there's that 89 album that, that Hindu love, on. Yeah. yeah, the Hindu Love Gods. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a buck That's a yeah. buck joint. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there was a Hindu Love Gods, which was like this one-off album, and, yeah. then, and then there was the Zivon album where basically R.E.M. is his backing band. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. and they do like the Raspberry Beret cover. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm... Yeah, so we'll, like I said, we'll get to it in recommendations. Yeah, that, that's over there in the... Uh, the Hindu Love Gods? No, no, the Zivon. Not the not the Hindu Love Gods one, but the, Z, the Zivon album that followed it. Oh, God. Because the Hindu Love Gods album is hard to find. Uh, you can stream it. Well, I will, I will do so. You know, because, you know, you as don't a, have... to streamer. Uh, <laughs> you don't... You don't... Because... Um, I don't you know, have to own everything to listen to it. Right. And and uh, sometimes it pays to be lazy. <laughs> There, there are, there are some. Uh, anyway, we're not going to full get, circle. <laughs> but yeah, no. There's, um, there's a song called uh, "You Woke Up My Neighborhood." That's uh, where um, Michael Stipe feel or features very prominently on vocals on that uh, for for Billy Bragg. But yeah, so I mean, that's kind of like his big reach, and that doesn't quite hit. I mean, it ends up being his most successful, but it's also anyway. I'm not going to get into. It. But I, then he yeah. does, in 96, he does, between that and 96, he does nothing except, I guess, be a father. And mm. then um, he releases uh, William Bloke, which <laughs> is kind of him, um, which, yeah, great title, play on William Blake, obviously. Um, I, I think it's a solid album, but it's also definitely at, at a time where critics are like, you know, this is very, it sounds very much like somebody who's kind of lost and wondering where his place in the world is because mm -hmm. now, you know, the political landscape had, had changed at that point. Um, a lot of, all of that kind of 80s um, red wedge where people were, mm -hmm. you know, uh, wearing their, their socialist or communist leanings on their sleeves, that all mm -hmm. has gone away. Um, and so it's kind of like this middle-aged, person kind of looking back and figuring out where they belong and not really finding their place. And so then, yes, to an extent, Mermaid Avenue introduced him to a whole new generation. Yeah. Um, and that's largely thanks to Wilco because they were the ones that were definitely up and coming at the time where his, you know, quote unquote star was on the wane. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's interesting and has absolutely nothing to do with this album. <laughs> Well, let's talk about this album well, now. So we were you you mentioned them still sounding like they were having fun, and and I I think that that definitely this is this is. But but to but also to add, and I kind of mentioned this when we were like on point, mm -hmm. is that a lot of, a lot of these records uh, so, songs sound slick. Well, I mean, def okay. I think that there's more of a an overall concerted effort. To me, this sounds whereas down by the old mainstream sounded like a bunch of guys having fun in the studio for a while mm -hmm. and almost, you know, like basically, I mean, they talk about it in this article that I mentioned 
um, how it was more of them just getting together in the studio and somebody would, you know, be playing a riff or something and they would just write songs together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not what this album comes out of. The, yeah. This album, and, and as I'm listening to this album, I have to admit that I don't listen to this one as much as I listen to down by the old mainstream. There's and no there's no he's a dick. No, there is on not. this record. No. There's overall I think less tongue in cheek, less just having a good time songs on here. Yeah. Uh, if there is one period. I what I was thinking as I was listening to this in the mindset of having to have a discourse on it is that this sounds like a capital A album. Mhm. This is this is an album with intent where the their first proper album sounds like a loose collective of people just getting together because they love playing music together. Mm-hmm. This, and a certain kind of music, to be clear. Yeah. This one sounds very much like, you know, people going through some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really a lively song on this album. Uh, there's not, there's not a, a, there's not an anthem. There's not a, just like a pure you know, good time song on here where, which those albums, I mean, those, those songs do feature on down by the old mainstream, this one, not so much. And so having listening to this the first time, well, not for the first time, but for the first time for this episode, um, then reading that article, they get into it and definitely like to a T all of these members were going through a hard time. Yeah. Um, this is the first album that, uh, I want to say it's the first album. Maybe not. Maybe. Like it sounds like I'm just guessing, but I'm sound. It sounds like um, Tweety's starting to get into the throes of depression and booze. Not so much booze, but I mean, definitely. Um, I. He's definitely getting into something. Yeah. Yes. I mean, because he, at least according to his memoir, he he was um, more, uh, he that he had um, already gotten alcohol sober, but it was a, a but he had become addicted to, or, or was getting addicted to painkillers because of mm-hmm. his migraines and everything like that. So, so there, there was that piece of it. But, um the uh, this is um pretty much early days for Jayhawks post um Mark Olson leaving. Okay. So the genesis of the Jayhawks essentially is that Mark Olson had been um like the primary person you know the primary driver in the Jayhawks and then Gary Lewis begins you know asserting himself more and more to the point where Mark Olson is feeling like the songs that he wants to do that that he, he's getting like a backlog of songs that don't quite fit the direction the Jayhawks is going in so Mark mm-hmm. Olson leaves the band uh, right after Tomorrow the Greengrass um, and the um, and then Jeff or I'm sorry, um, Loris J. Uh, how did I already forget this man's name? Gary Loris 
uh, is now having to run the band and then deal with now um, hit the rest of the band is beginning to contribute songs and also then kind of crowding out some of his stuff. Now, Mark Olson and Gary Lewis have very different approaches to this. In mm-hmm. Gary Lewis's mind, it's, it, to him, it's like, oh, this is great. It's just strengthening the band. Uh, he has a much more positive attitude about it, but he is kind of feeling the pressure of shouldering the band and having, you know, also having a backlog of songs that he can't get fit into the Jayhawks stuff and also going through some personal shit. Mm-hmm. So he's going through that. Dan Murphy's going through personal shit. I think Jeff Tweedy at this point, yes, is getting into the um, the painkiller addiction, but also um, feeling the pressure of the major label stuff and getting, you know, touring constantly and having a young family mm-hmm. and having, uh, you know, the pressure of, of doing summer teeth at this time. So this is much more of like a pressure cooker situation. Yeah. And I feel like these songs are coming out of that. And while there are some great songs on here, it's definitely a much more melancholic feeling. Yeah, and it definitely feels more. It, it doesn't feel. It's I can, I can less tell who's doing what. But yes. I definitely know what Tweety wrote, and what Loris writes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got such distinctive voices too. Yeah. The, like, the only one where I I had to kind of double check. And and because just because I think Tweety's pitching his voice a little differently is all the same to me. And I just even like I I I, I mean it's not like I know, I just think sometimes it's you know it's okay for like obviously I know when Tweety's singing I know when Loris is singing right but I, I'm Are you also talking more musical direction yeah but or? as far as like musical direction mm. like. Tweety's always going to sound like Tweety, and Loris is always going to sound like Loris. Right. But, like, it's a little more, it feels a little more distinctive, a little less distinctive on this. Like, it does feel like... it. There's much more of a melding of styles. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is I think that overall it feels like a much more cohesive band record. Yeah. And it feels like they are, which is interesting because I think that in this case more than the previous album, they came with their songs separately. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not write as many of them together in the studio as like they did on the previous one. Mm-hmm. So that to me is interesting. Um, but um, yeah, I, but and it just, and like I said too, like it just, especially side A, mm-hmm. it feels slick. Like it just, it, it feels very polished. Where I like the thing I like about listening to the old main, you know, down the old mainstream, is how unpolished. It, yeah, I mean, it's not I, like raw. It's just well, no. So when when you're saying polished, I think I'm I'm thinking of for for me when I'm thinking of something sounds polished, I my mind immediately goes to more of like a um, a pristine kind of sound, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, I don't think polished is the word that I would choose necessarily. Would you I say pristine think, then? No, I, I, I would say I would say that it sounds it sounds more intentional. Yeah, um, it sounds there were yeah. Every, this sounds more. Inten- I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. It sounds it sounds like intentional, whereas like 
we talked about how Latter-day Wilco, while those records are great, Mm -hmm. um, it feels like Tweedy and the band are feeling are taking themselves a little less seriously. Right. This is a this is a group of people that's taking themselves very seriously. Very seriously. Yeah, I, and I think that's just a byproduct of of it going of it being very serious times for them. Again, going back to this this article I was talking about in in No Depression, um, they 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 still talk to they all talk about how much they enjoy playing music together so yeah. i i feel like they still had a good time making the album it's just the overall mood of the album is much more dour mhm and like how like how well did the first album do down by the old nation cuz it definitely feels like I, I know reiko disc that, isn't like a big label or anything but right i mean so the first album is met with more mixed reviews. This album is met with almost universally kind of positive reviews. Right, but like chart wise, like sales chart wise, wise, they're they're not doing. Like not I can't see them ton. doing like. The the only according to Wikipedia, the only chart position this this uh, notes is the Billboard Heat Seekers albums mm-hmm. where where it made uh, number thirty four. Okay, because I'm kind of wondering too if like like Ryko Disc is like oh well. Their band's doing okay, and Wilco's doing okay. Maybe if we put them together, it'll do better than average. Mm. And maybe, and I don't know, maybe it did. I mean, 34 and the Heat Seekers is... I don't, you know, that's... <laughs> Ryko Disc, to me, in the 90s, is kind of what... Um, what Yep Rock becomes in, in more of the 2000s and, yes. and present. So it's it was one of those labels where it seemed like you could get very like high quality musicians, high quality songwriters that were not ever going to necessarily be big time. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen this as forty? Oh yeah, of yeah. course. It's it's um, it's uh, <laughs> speaking of it's that, Paul Rudd's label. <laughs> and, and, yes, yeah, and and which and, by the way, are you starting to start a label now for your? Uh... I was gonna say, just you know. Um, this is going to be 40 in about, you know, two weeks. So <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pointing to myself, folks. Yeah. I, which, by the way, I just want it to be over with. I don't, I don't. Now, I don't now you're at the point care. where I'm just gay over I just, with. I just want to, at this point, I just want to be like, yep, I'm in my 40s. That's fine. <laughs> but, and it's not necessarily because, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you what, just quick side tangent on a personal note. 40 to me, I, I, f- I fully think is just a number. It's like, I don't feel much different. I, I think overall, probably in many senses, I feel better about myself at 40 than I did at 30. However, culturally, there's such an importance placed on that number. Yep. And... I a lot of what I care about it for what a lot of how I've been reflecting on it has been fully driven by people telling me, "Oh, you're going to be 40." And just like almost like you know, they're um you know, like people say you're you're going to be 40 like it's an insult or like it's a bad thing or like you're old now or yeah. whatever. I, I, and so 
I just want that piece of it to be over with. At that, at this point, I just don't want to hear about it anymore. Give me my black balloons. Give me my black yeah, cake. Yeah, whatever. I don't give a shit. I just want it to be done so I can have. I can be like, yep, I'm in my forties. It's fine. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I think that also, it's such an arcane way of of thinking of age too because, I I feel like. People just age differently now too, because I don't feel. No, because forty is the new fifty. Like fifty is the new forty anyway. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. No. (sighs) We live in marvelous times, man. Tangent over. I I I just I do wish I I had, I I wish I had um, the hairline I had in my (laughs) thirties. I'm looking at these pictures, and I don't blame you. You uh. You were sporting some. Uh, I, I had a lot more. Sporting hairs. some growth. Yeah. No, I mean, not that it's receded that far. It's just it's definitely thinned, and it's it's bumming me out. Um, so. <laughs> they got they got something for that. Yeah, I never wanted to be one of those people who did anything about it. Nobody though. just nobody, aged naturally. Nobody has to know. I'll know, <laughs> and I'll, I'll I'll be disappointed in me, <laughs> which I always am. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed regardless, dude. It's like a damned if you do or damned if you don't situation. I know. Classic self-loathing Jew. I just need to, you know, get over it. And The and only way you, someone's going to know is if a lady is taking a shower at your house and sees the shampoo. Yeah, <laughs> and so, and they'll be like, oh. <laughs> and then I'll be much happier. I mean, already I won't give a shit. I'll be like, hey, there's a lady taking a shower. And <laughs> my home it's the morning (laughs) she's still here (laughs) yeah oh anyway uh let's let's talk favorite songs and then do recommendations and call it a podcast yeah um we have we have wiley i i I, it's so funny how focused you, you jinxed it by talking about how focused you were at the beginning and then of course we go back to our old ways yes yeah this is true uh well you know i mean and i'll have to say i'm a little bit relieved uh the world is back in order it's like (laughs) balance is restored (laughs) all right i i also want to say that while overall i do think this is a stronger album than down by the old mainstream Mm -hmm. I actually prefer the other album. I, I have a better time listening to the other album. I, I think have I had a better time listening to that one too. Yeah. I mean, I lo- like, there's I so song- much, there's so much to like about this album. Yeah. I, and I would say, I think Song for Song, Weird Tales is a, an objectively better album. Mm-hmm. It's just, if you're going to put on a record to have a good time to, this is not the one. Yeah. It would definitely be down by the old mainstream. Yeah. If this is a wallowing in the dark after watching a this this watching is a definitely Cows movie. This is your movie. Yeah, this is your this album. Is your, this yeah. is your album. Um it's it's definitely if you're if you're ready to kind of feel sorry for yourself, this is a good album to listen to. Which I'm in that space most of the time. Um Which is why I'm surprised you like the first one more. <laughs> well, Sometimes you need to listen to something that does not reflect uh, who you are. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So um, I think this album is definitely front loaded with the best songs. I I think that um, 
Looking forward to seeing you until you came along. Lost love. Those three right in a row are tops. Those are those are those are your bangers. I I, I think so. Uh, to call my own is okay. It's not not my favorite song on the album, but it's a good lead-in track. But tracks two, three, four. Looking forward to seeing you until you came along. Lost love. Those three, great. Um, Jane, I think, is a pretty strong mm-hmm. song. And then, um, please tell my brother is just such oh, a gorgeous song. That I was. That's my favorite song off the record. Yeah, like, it just it's the one that like it just feels like you enjoy it. and I know it's not like I'm probably reading too much, in it, but I almost feel like a goodbye. Well, I, I yeah, I I want to say his he lost his mother around that time. Yeah. Um, I'll look that up real quick, actually, because I, I mm-hmm. think that it's I I, I do because his father his father passed away not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it does feel like like a like a, like a tone poem, like just like in like a goodbye letter, like. Oh well, no. So his mom was still around. Uh, his mom didn't die until two thousand six. Yeah. Um, when his dad died. Uh, he, a little more recently than that. Okay. Uh, he talks more about that in the in the bio of the audio book that I didn't read. Because okay, were... so his father died in um, August two thousand seventeen. Okay. So his dad lived for another eleven years after his mom. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just it is a great family tribute. Just the the little. Um, it's it's it i mean and if you the thing is that this came out years before his his autobiography but after having read his autobiography listening to the song now mm-hmm. that that song please tell my brother is definitely autobiographical yeah yeah i mean the points about his dad and the, the railroad, railroad and, and yeah um it's his brothers and his sister and you know mm. but but when he gets to that last verse of of you know please tell my mother i miss her the most and mm-hmm. it's it's just such a I, I i i you know and this is just for me personally i think that tweety is so successful at somehow managing to teeter on the edge of just syrupy sentimentality and not fall over yeah there's something that's just so genuine about so much of his his lyrics and and what's in which is why i never understand if if you read criticism of wilco albums nine times out of ten their criticisms are about his lyrics about tweety's lyrics and to me that's that's one of the strongest points of a wilco yeah, that's album. why i listen to a wilco album yeah the vulnerability of his lyrics is what always draws me in yeah like, so the music just sets the mood for whatever darkness he's conjured up with his words. Right. It, the the fact that the music is genius is like a bonus. It's it, yeah. It, it, the, yeah. I I don't know. I it, there's I have a collection that collection of his poetry that he put out, um, Adult Head, that has the cat on the cover. Yeah, I have that one too. Um, and I go back to that all the time. I think he's he's a great. I, I think he's a great lyricist. Mm-hmm. There's just you know he's not. 
uh, overly fussy with his lyrics mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily try to to um, to couch everything in metaphor and imagery all the time. Some mm-hmm. of it's just so straightforward and naked and vulnerable that it just he has the those he can slay you in the same way that a Springsteen or a Costello can without having to go to or a Dylan even without having to go to that level of of um clever of trickery yeah because yeah. that's the thing about like we were talking i think last week about summer teeth like shot on the arm yeah like it like uh we met in the key of c yeah like it doesn't it's um i like something like that more than something like Costello will do with like when you find strange hands in your sweater. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, or not that I don't like that, but that comes well, off you, to you me. Mean as, your dream boat turns out to be. A and, 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 you know, yeah. <laughs> that to, when he does it, it's clever. I like it. And then I'm like, you kind of like, you're just and you're clever. Whereas like, he does like Tweed does it because it fits a song. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if if to the one that just popped into my head was his goal in life was to be an echo, the kind of sound that floats around and then back down like a feather. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it is some beautiful imagery, but it's also just it seems so much more straightforward than than something like. Um, mm-hmm. It's metaphorical and yet straightforward. Yeah. And whereas Elvis or Ducklin, uh, as he's Mr. McManus, Mr. McManus, as we call him in my house. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, He, it's, it's clearly being clever. Um, And you can tell like when he's, when he's really being serious about something, when he's doing a song like um, Tramp the Dirt Down or yeah, like Pills and Soap or something, like some of that cleverness is toned down because he has yeah. a point to make. Well, what's I mean, if you think about some of the albums that Costello gets the most heavily criticized for are something like North, where North is just straight up naked odes to... To Diane. Diane, yeah, Diana Kroll. But it's also so off its wheelhouse to right. do a jazz record. Well, I mean, yeah, but people should be used to that by now. Costello's always going to zig when you expect him to zag. Yeah, um, it's he should he should zig though. It's it's interesting because um, because like there there kind of is that expectation out of Costello that they want that clever wordplay. And so when he strips that away, people are, are disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I mean, some of my some of my favorite, especially latter day Costello tracks, are where they're less clever and just more, more <laughs> straightforward and open. I, and when I think of like Monkey to Man, yeah, um, that song is both clever and direct because you clearly know who he is talking about in right. that song. Or the type of people he's talking about in that song. Well, and I think one of my favorite songs off of that album is um, Either Side of the Same Town, which is another just kind of straightforward ballad, um, you know, talking about, um, oh, what's one of my favorite lines on that album is, um, 
I'm not going to be able to think about it and yeah. take off it off the top of my head. But it, it's it's one of you'll it's text just it to me later. <laughs> yeah, I will. And it's it's a, unfortunately one of those um, those those rare instances where um, where my my lyrical memory is just fading fa- uh, failing me. Uh, but I was thinking about getting back to Tweety. Something like um, I, well, it's that's interesting too. Is that Tweety is much more akin to Bragg in that sense because mm-hmm. Billy Bragg is is again one of those more straightforward poets that's that's going to be um, it's going to have you know a, a clever turn of phrase or something, but they are the lyrics are definitely much more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the, I, 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 for some reason, for for Bragg, the lines that are popping into my head are. Um, when I make love to your memory, it's not the same. I miss the thunder. I miss the rain. Um, mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, or for and then getting back to Tweety, talking about uh, something like Impossible Germany, where um, it's just where there are lines about how, um, you know, I I, sh- I should. Um, how the most important thing is to know somebody's listening. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, and it's again, this kind of, or off of that same album, I, I, and I think that honestly, um, Sky Blue Sky is probably one of the, the most vulnerable albums um, that, it, that, that song, Please Be Patient With Me, mm-hmm. um, is just uh, completely open about how knowingly frustrating you can be to somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I've grown to love that album. Um, and the, and I have really grown to love that album. It's, it's sort of like as much as I fall back on like ghost is born and, you know, I'll go on Yankee and now I'm like kind of like really digging into summer teeth, mm-hmm. pun intended, I guess. <laughs> um, um, sky blue sky as much as I know you love it. I think it's, you know, we don't talk about that record enough. Like, I don't yeah, think... it's an undersung Wilco album, I think. No. And, I mean, uh, when people think about that, they probably talk about Impossible Germany the most because of just like the transcendent guitar playing mm-hmm. of Nels Klein. Yes, friend of the podcast. <laughs> that's that's right. Go <laughs> go to the limited engagement archives and hear me talk all about that solo with uh, with Nels himself. Yeah, but um. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I yeah, it's it's just amazing to me, like how he kisses. Like uh, I guess um, Hassel kisses to be clever, but um, Tweety is uh, clever and vulnerable at the same time. Yeah. So there's it's a it's it's a it's a very fine balance. Um, all right. Are there any songs that we didn't hit on that you wanted? No, to no, about? we've touched everything that I I I've wanted to, and I appreciate you uh, indulging me in that uh, side uh, that side uh, tangent to what we went on. Yeah, absolutely. So that's weird tales. Um, what do I think we gave? I would give this one another solid three out of five. Yeah, me too. I'd probably give it three and a half. 
Yeah, maybe just a slight edge as far as yeah. consistency goes over definitely. down by the old mainstream. It's definitely more cohesive than that run, but it's, man, it is a more consistent down album. by the old mainstream. I'm sure was a lot more fun. It was. I, I agree. I, it, I I I was I was. <laughs> I was listening to this before our work party last night as I was working into the late hours of the evening, <laughs> tired from a long ass day. And I was hoping for something lively to get me in the mood for a party and all it did was just make me sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and uh um I'll I'll be honest, I did as I was listening to this, I would have preferred to my mood matched this. And also, similarly to you, I think, and and I I I would have been more in the mood to kind of listen to Down by the Old Mainstream to pull me out of my funk. Yeah, and um, yeah, which kind of brings me to um, my recommendation for the week. Well, let's just um, I guess we'll we'll talk about it again at the end. But the the next the next album that we're going to be digging into is the Chelsea Walls soundtrack. Okay. Um, and you have not listened to that one? I've never seen you know, haven't, and I've not seen the movie. I think, I'm trying to think of where I saw the film, because I saw it recently. I think it might have been... Um, it's not that hard to find. Yeah, I'm trying to think of where I saw it. It's not... <laughs> The film's not great. The soundtrack, in my estimation, is much, much better than the than the film. I mean, yes, I'm sure it is. I mean, look at the man behind it. I I like Ethan Hawke. I know. I do too. We we could we could have an Ethan Hawke appreciation con, you know podcast after there this is over. But when 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 we cancel when we pull the plug on the platypus, we can do uh pull the plug. On. Pull the plug on the platypus. Put the platypus out of its misery. Yeah, we can do Hawkwind. (laughs) 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 Our Ethan Hawk Appreciation Podcast. And and also about the band Hawkwind. (laughs) No. That is a negative speed racer. I, I'm I'm interested to hear what you think about that soundtrack for sure. I love that soundtrack. I had uh, uh, that on CD for a, a really like I think when it first came out, I got it, and it's so different. It it speaks to much more to what Wilco is going to do and what Jeff Tweedy is going to do also with. Um, with uh loose fur and um how what's the the guy's name i can't think of all of a sudden uh something o'reilly um anyway bob Bob o'reilly no (laughs) no 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 you're all wasted (laughs) uh but yeah so that's that's gonna be the next thing the chelsea walls soundtrack i love it um they're there's a mix. I think we'll we'll hit the thing as a whole. Um, the concentration is going to be on the original compositions by Tweedy, mm-hmm. but I, I but we can't skip over the. Um, there's a there's a Wilco track on there from the the. Uh, there's a, a couple of Wilco tracks on there, but one from the Mermaid Avenue sessions. Mm-hmm. There's a Jimmy Scott, uh, little Jimmy Scott with Wilco as the backing band covering Jealous Guy. That's just... No shit. So fucking good. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just fucking 
kills me. God um, damn it. So look forward to that. That's coming soon. Um, it may... We're, we're going to hash out the schedule for December. Kind of bear with us. We're, we're probably going to take a holiday break. Um, yeah. I have a couple of ideas that I need to talk with my co-host off mic um, to kind of keep some stuff in the feed. But uh, we, we are going to take a break over the holidays. And, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you know ahead of time. I think we're going to do at least one more. We'll before. do one more. Okay. So at the minimum, there's going to be at least one more, which will be tw- Chelsea Walls. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll kind of figure things out from there. Yeah, we we got you. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Christmas will probably be a little lonely. But you'll have us back on uh, New Year's. Maybe we'll see. I, I have yeah. an idea. So, but yeah, let's hit recommendations and and uh, and call it. Yeah. So, um, other than as I told you last night, I hadn't listened to the record until last night, mm-hmm. um, and that's because two reasons. One is when the day I was going to listen to the record. Um, our, our, our beautiful songbird, Christine McVie, uh, passed away. Yes. R.I.P. And, um, uh, she was, uh, her and Buckingham are by far, uh, my favorite songwriters in Fleetwood Mac. Um. Really? Over Nick's? Yes. Okay. Definitely. I'm like, don't get me started. Like, I like, for some reason, Nick's work solo work just somehow taints her Fleetwood Mac for me. I mean, other mm. than Sarah, which is just heartbreaking to listen to, knowing the history behind that song. Um, but I think There's Jimmy, that, Jimmy but, Iovine has uh, ruined Nick for me. Um, well, I just want to toss out there, she has two of the greatest duets of all time with Stop Dragging My Heart Around and uh, Leather and Lace. Truth. <laughs> Both was people I'm fairly certain she slept with uh almost definitely i mean in, in, in the definitely henley, henley. Yeah, definitely 100%. henley yes and and it's funny joe walsh too and yeah yeah, yeah. she's <laughs> <laughs> she's the laurel canyon bicycle everybody's had a i'm sorry i'm sorry queen queen stevie um but no seriously mcvee though um McVie and Buckingham are by far are clearly my two favorite songwriters. Okay. And that's the thing is like you, you look at what um, McVie contributed to that band mm-hmm. even before, like you want, and oh, before Buckingham and Nick's. Yeah. Even, even yeah. before Buckingham and Nick's joined Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. she was already steering the band in, she was already a huge blues fan, but she was steering, already steering them into that. Into yeah. the direction to eventually go in, like Bob Welch helped, but clearly they were going like they were going to go this direction whether Buckingham and Nick joined or not. Like it's just a bonus. A quick side note: I I was scrolling through Twitter and saw like a tribute from Graham Parker uh, mm. to Christine McVie because he he was talking about how hearing her in whatever her pre Fleetwood Mac band was um, the Christine Perfect band. Uh, maybe I, he mentioned the name. I don't remember what it was, but he he talks about seeing her on stage in a pub at that point, and and you know hearing this blues come out of this this white British woman, yeah, and it 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 giving him the confidence that you could do that. Oh, um, I'm trying to think of the band too. I think it may have been Chicken Shack. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, might have been Chicken it. Shack was the band yeah. that she was in before she did the Christine Perfect band. I think she, when she was in Chicken Shack, she that's when she met John. Mm-hmm. 
and Chicken Shack broke up or she eventually disbanded because she ended up joining the band and right but anyway i I've, I've been meaning to look up some chicken shack cuz i i don't think it's that see if i can find it mm-hmm. um but like you listen to like bare trees yeah um or even some tracks off of penguin like it's <laughs> it's gut wrenching stuff and even her solo album as much as it sounds like it should be like like that hit single um i finally found a love mm-hmm. like that sounds like something that you would hear like on a trailer to tootsie or something <laughs> especially that bridge yeah, yeah. <laughs> like but it's such a great catchy tune she's so effing talented mm-hmm. and i am seriously sad that she's gone and i will never get the chance to see her perform with the rest of the band right even though Lindsay is no longer with the band, um, I wouldn't mind seeing her with Finn and Campbell yeah. when they do their iteration with that. But yeah, McVie is just so like un- just an unsung hero songwriter of that band, and I'm I lost it when yeah um, when when her passing was announced um but well, the other thing i've been obsessed with is um for like the last two weeks i've been obsessed with this warren zevon lab album called stand in the fire oh okay and i'm sure like everybody is like like the nerds are out there like going oh what you just fucking discovered this shit <laughs> <laughs> but yeah motherfuckers i did <laughs> um but seriously like um, it has like all the hits, like standing in the fire, I think is like a, an original one that didn't come out yet. I think he, but it's so funny. Like the songs he does that people know he has a lot of fun with. It's just this band. He like put together in Colorado Okay, and they play it like live at the Roxy and he'll do something like, poor poor pitiful me and just sounds like a fucking like rock and blues song Mm. and um and when the um he's at the hyatt house (laughs) you know and he doesn't want to talk about it and and in the studio he brings out his road manager (laughs) and and just has a lot of fun with that like and just says like and introduces the band i'm like going and that's so clever and then um with werewolves of london he uses that as an opportunity to um make fun of los angeles um or i once saw jackson brown (laughs) who was who produced one of his records yeah and, and i once saw jackson brown uh coming out of a barber shop and Boulevard, like his hair was perfect. <laughs> um, or um, having fun playing around. With yeah, he's having fun and... playing around. Like, uh, uh, brings up Brian De Palma at one point. Like, mm. as like, and like, yeah, that that. And, and you think about like the movies Brian De Palma was doing at the time is mm-hmm. like that fits, and it's a lot of fun. He takes a shot at James Taylor, <laughs> like, and I think it's like. 
I don't know if it's like a shy or just good natured ribbing, but he is just. And he does like a uh, tribute to Bo Diddley. That's like a great blues song. It's mm. just this tight little record. And it makes me wish that I, 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 I just, I, I wish I had, he was still around. I really do. And because I didn't appreciate him then. Cause what I'm like, I was probably like 18 when he died that I do now. And uh, I actually think I like, like poor, poor, pitiful me, and I'll sleep when I'm dead. Mm-hmm. I like those live tracks much more than I do that they do on the studio. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, those are my two recommendations. Is pretty much Christine McVie and Christine McVie in general. Like even like the Saul records, and she just came out with like a compilation of like, like they do like a orchestral version of Songbird, mm-hmm. the Fleetwood Mac track that just kills me. I'm going to send you, um, but, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but I'm going to send you a track. But uh, um, st- but the Warren Zevon album, uh, the live album is standing, uh, uh, what can I just, it just, Standing in the Fire? Standing in the Fire. Standing in the Fire. Standing in the Fire, okay. Um, that live album just absolutely kicks ass. It's it's what the kids call a banger. It it slaps and it slaps fucking hard. In fact, it fucks. Wow, damn. So I'm just really obsessed with that right now, and maybe one day I'll. So I I sent you uh, a Neil Finn track um, that is recorded with Christine McVie. I saw that and um, I've been meaning to, yeah, find Yeah. That's, I was gonna check that one, but thank you for yeah, saying no, that. It's, it's a great, I mean, I think you can more distinctly hear Nix's contribution, but it's, it's a great song and, and McVie contributes to it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what I want to do for recommendations, man. I, I've seen, I saw a number of great films over the Thanksgiving break. Um, do the one we talked about. Uh, do the one we talked about during pregame. The the vet, the movie you finally watched. Mikey and Nikki. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, if you haven't seen Mikey and Nikki, it's a it's a great great film, uh, written and directed by Elaine May, one of the one of the few she got to do. Because um, of men. <laughs> but well, yeah, also like, because of Ishtar. Yeah. <laughs> Which the more I read about what ha- the the fuckery that happened with that movie, mm-hmm. like it is because of men. Like gotcha. seriously, like I, I I need to see. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. I just remember it. The story about it is more notorious than the film. Yeah, um, but seriously, it's because dudes fucked with her, fucked with that movie. Yeah, like it, it. What started out as a joke, and now that you brought oh, it up, it's like I know what I want to recommend. What? So tell me. I you you should see Mikey and Nikki. That's 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 great. Peter Falk, John Cassavetes, fantastic performances, and it just some of the most naturalistic performances you'll ever see. Um, absolutely, watch it. Have you seen Mister In Between? No. Tell me more. Okay, so it's this is actually a show that um, 
when I went out to San Diego over the summer, my uncle recommended to me, and we watched the uh, the the first uh, couple of episodes, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it, and then kind of had not forgotten about it, but just like not gone back to it. Um, it's it's an Australian comedy. It's written and and stars this guy named Scott Ryan. He created it and he wrote it and um, and he stars in it. It's the this uh, the episode that the director uh, is Nash Edgerton. I don't know if you know who he is. Or is that. he? He's he's a uh, he's, he's also part of the Australian. great Edgertons. Um, he's a part of the Edgerton family of the Joels. Um, no, really? Yeah. Uh, he's oh he's the younger brother of Joel Edgerton. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was gonna say he's a. He you can't tell me like he was an Australian Edgerton. <laughs> that's in <the> not. <laughs> that's not related to Joel. Okay. Um, yeah. So he he's the younger brother of Joel Edgerton, aka Uncle Warren. Right. <laughs> um, Episode one. That's a Star Wars reference, everybody. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but no. So I, I guess the genesis of this is that. Um, Oh, and I've never. Okay, so it's it according to Wikipedia anyway. It's it, the series is a serialization of the 2005 feature film The Magician, which was created, written by, and starred Scott Ryan. Um, so, it's this very dark comedy, um, where it's it's the it's this guy uh, Ray, who Scott Ryan plays, who. Um, is this kind of like middle-aged divorcee has, you know, has a daughter, um, seems like a, a fairly, you know, nice kind of just, you know, um, nice enough guy, interesting guy who also just happens to, um, do like contract killing and stuff. He's a bouncer at a friend's uh, strip club, and he, <laughs> he plays a he plays a heavy. Like he goes in and roughs people up for for gambling debts, and uh, and he you know enforces things like that, and and then will also you know kill for hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and, he meets someone who changes it all, doesn't? Well, he does fall in love with somebody, and you know there's there's that kind of element to it, but it's also. It has this kind of like deeper story. Now, now it makes me want to see the film, um, but it 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 kind of it, I like it for the same reasons that I liked, uh, for instance, that show I was recommending at some one point called Patriot. Yeah, yeah, um, I remember that one. That's that's just this kind of surprisingly surprisingly well-written kind of like uh, almost surreal in some points just not any sort of thing you'd expect and it's just it's it's fantastic there 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 are scenes that i mean where where um ray and his friend gary who's kind of like this this low-life guy also are just you know they're on they're staking out somebody that that they have to kill and Mm -hmm. and you know sitting in a van and they're talking about you know the the scene just opens up on them in the middle of raking their ranking their favorite james their favorite <laughs> bonds 
So it's like a conver- It's sort of like starts as like a Tarantino movie, right? It's it's like conversations you and I would have, except yeah. he's much cooler than either one of us. Well, <laughs> goes without saying. Um, it's on Hulu. Um, there are three seasons of it that I know of. I don't know if there's plans for a fourth season or not, but um, yeah. And what's interesting too is this this Scott Ryan guy. So he's pretty much like the whole reason that this exists is because he was he needed to create a vehicle for himself he was having difficulty getting cast and everything he's kind mm-hmm. of like an odd looking guy not your your classically handsome leading man type mm-hmm. and i get that um and he's also he's also a little bit older and he um he let's see what was it that i wanted to oh yeah so in 20 uh, this is off of his his Wiki, wikipedia uh entry in 2020, he was signed to the talent agency CAA after actress Helen Mirren and her husband, director Taylor Hackford, urged their Hollywood agent to watch the series, who then offered to represent him. Oh. God bless Taylor Hackford. And Helen Mirren. And Helen Mirren. So, yeah. he has, Taylor Hackford hasn't directed a good movie in quite some time, but uh, God bless him for doing something for recognizing like something like that yeah, yeah i mean and so if that's if that's if my recommendation isn't enough listen to helen mirren she knows what she's talking yeah. about <laughs> and taylor hackford i mean he he's turned out some good ones like he did ray and he did a few and he did devil's advocate which i like and so because yeah. because this is a a non-american show there's only <laughs> there's three seasons there's it's a total of like um, 27 episodes or oh, okay. something. So yeah. it, it goes by quick. I'm on the third season now. Are they half an hour? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah well. So, and you kind of just plow through them. But it's it's super compelling, super well-written. I, I was really... It's it's one that I'm very happy to recommend and glad that I remembered to recommend Oh, it. I'm so glad that you did. Now I want to check it out. Especially... Um, so that's Mr. In-Between. As I've been... Uh, there. We, as I've been surrounded by uh, tons of salespeople uh, this week for all company meeting with my day job. Uh, one of them used to be a chef, and I, of course, was like recommended the bear. Oh yes. And uh, it's like really, and, and it's like yeah, you could tr- you could definitely finish this in an afternoon. And like really, I'm like oh dude, you'd love it, <laughs> like just from someone who's worked in the. French restaurant selling and I think and hopefully he checks it out so I I don't know but I'm uh, I like ones that you can just recommend and you're done with a season in an afternoon oh yeah it's it's a, it's a quick watch it goes down very smooth uh, and that's gonna do it yeah this was um, this was great and uh, always nice seeing you and uh, and always nice talking Tweety so and next time, again, we'll be talking Chelsea Walls. Yeah, and can't until wait. Until then, keep it mental, Platypeeps. peeps.